Hi, and welcome back to the monthly podcast series for Transformational Insights, looking at the transformational changes that are reshaping our industry today. My name is Faith Forster, founder of Pinapa, an engagement tool to make engaging stakeholders easier. We're here today with David D'Souza, who's the head of London for CIPG here in the UK. Thanks for joining us, David. So the first question, tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be part of the CIPG. Been in HR for probably 15 years now, or, or 10 years if this has been recorded, uh, and I want people to think I'm slightly younger, in a combination of, uh, I suppose, organisational development roles. So looking at the whole breadth of kind of organisational culture, but also talent, employee engagement, design, and all those kind of things, as well as performance management. So the infrastructure of organisations and how you get them to work well for people. Did a number of jobs in financial services before becoming an independent about three years ago. And then a fantastic job came up at the CIPD. I already had a good relationship with them and I thought that would be a good way to spend a couple of years. And what are some of your focus areas for the CIPD? Because even professional bodies in the world of a networked era, the concept of professional bodies is changing. What are some of the things that you're focusing on and helping the organisation with here? I think for us, it's kind of being customer focused and desire at the CIPD is to champion better working, working lives. And that means that actually our customers are theoretically anyone in work and organisations themselves. So that's a pretty big remit to be sitting with. So for us, it's about understanding the changing nature of the world of work and being able to respond to that as an organisation. And that's in the way that we lobby and the kind of voice that we have in the community, but it's also in the way that we lead and support our members. So the changes that are happening currently in the way the world works be that digitalization, be that globalization, greater focus on sustainability and social conscience. They're things that we need to reflect really hard on as uh, an industry body and professional body and think about how we respond to them. So what are some of the, the shifts that you're seeing in the, in the world of work? Because there are some, some major rethinking going on about the effects that these will have on business, but also HR in particular. What are some of those major trends that you're seeing? I'll call, I'll call out a few that immediately come to mind. So the, one of the first is automation. We're aware that over the next five to ten years, there'll be a big shift there. Bank of England, uh, Andy Haldane's come out and said that up to 50% of jobs could be impacted over the coming years, which is a huge shift in the way that we do work. Then digitalization and the ability of people to work remotely and flexibly. We haven't made the most of that technology yet, but I'm sure that we will do. So, you know, we're sitting here in London at the moment. The transport infrastructure can't cope with the volume of people coming in and out. Um, but we still need people to do and produce and make a contribution. So I think that will be another shift. And then more locally within organisations, we're still trying to figure out employee engagement and what that means. We're still trying to work out, I guess, how you get people to care about an organisation in a world where people are likely to have more and more jobs over the course of their career. So what does commitment look like and what does investment look like in individuals? How can you get technology to enable people rather than constrain them? So we've got, you know, theoretically the world of information in our pocket in a way that we've never had historically. We have the ability to connect with other people, but actually that shouldn't just be that nine o'clock in the evening you're still kind of lashed to work, just you're happening to do it over a glass of wine at home. And so that's a shift as well. And then we've got things like the removal of performance management in organisations and some of the shifts there and focus on exec pay as well. So I think we're increasingly in a world that's more transparent due to the lack of security and the availability of information. Um, and I think organisations are having to shift to come to that. So you see organisations growing really rapidly and some of the older ones dying away. But I think most organisations are aware that it's a time where they do need to change and respond. You mentioned performance management. This is this is one of the areas that people love to hate and it's certainly a growing movement, I guess, in the idea of rethinking performance management. What are some of the changes that you're seeing in that space and the new ideas coming out? It's a really interesting space because the, the ability of organisations to shift and adjust to what I think is a growing consensus that 
performance management um, in its historical form is a bit smelly, is limited in some cases by markets and by legacy and by infrastructure internally. I think what we're seeing broadly is a shift towards more developmental conversations and the focus being on that. That's actually quite a tricky one for organisations to make if historically they haven't had that. So suddenly turning around to your managers and saying have good quality conversations with people is tough if that's not something that they're used to. Although I do think we over-engineer that sometimes because I think they're normally people who could have a sensible conversation outside of the office. So we need to look at why they can't do it inside of the office rather than assume they haven't got those skills whatsoever. We're seeing some changes, I suppose, in terms of the utilisation of technology, which removes some of the burden of paperwork. We're seeing lots of places saying they're removing performance management, but in fact what they're doing is increasing the frequency of it. So they're shifting to quarterly, but probably lighter touch. And I think we need to kind of work out whether in fact that is the transformation we think it is or whether it's just spreading some of the pain. And then you're seeing some organisations that that genuinely are making moves to remove it or are judging people on results only over different periods, which I think is a healthy trend, but it's easier to do as a small startup than it is to adopt as a large company with established practice, primarily because of the historical link to Ben Reward. That link is very interesting because when you talk about performance management and trying to rethink and, and, and really approach it quite differently to the normal onerous structures, it quite quickly links into pay rises and bonuses and, and promotions and things like that. So are you seeing some interesting ideas coming out or, or new practices that businesses are taking on to address this whole issue and still support people in the way that they want to be recognised for the, the contribution they've made? I think that the more regular reviews work, um, there are some organisations that are removing the concept of ratings. So that's been kind of that's been the drive probably for the last 20 years that we need to accurately rate people. Um, but if you look at the complexity of doing that in a fair way across an organisation, it's almost impossible. So I think if we can get smarter by utilising technology to better measure the contribution people make to organisations in a scientific way, that removes a lot of the issues that we've had historically around one manager speaking up for their people more vociferously than another and therefore kind of doing the PR bit of pay better. I also think there's a there's a shift to evaluating how people do their jobs as well as what they've achieved which is really positive to see and um, it links really well to some of the cultural stuff that we know particularly in FS has historically needed to improve. The challenge is that as it becomes less tangible it becomes harder to prove that the evaluation is fair and I think that will be the challenge for organisations that how do you stop your culture then becoming a tick box as well so you can see that kind of chain of thought which is we need to focus on culture okay so we need some measures for culture okay so what do the sub-measures for culture look like for the individual and then you've almost got a, a tick box for that which doesn't feel like you're capturing intent as well as you might want to it feels like you're attempting to mechanise something that's actually quite aspirational. You mentioned the culture in FS and you have background in FS. This was something that was very much at the heart of a lot of the poor behaviours, I guess you could say, were unearthed or uncovered as part of the reviews looking back on the financial crisis. Do you see that there's, you know, how do we build in something that helps drive the right behaviours in, in organisations like that? How do you, can you, can you really change those behaviours? I think you can definitely change those behaviours. They're hard when they're embedded and they're hard when they're hardwired into the infrastructure as well. I think HR's got a crucial role to play. One is that we have a convening power, which is brilliant, at the CIPD. So we've started bringing together the HR directors of some of the uh, major players to have discussions around what it means to kind of embrace it in terms of culture. So how can you genuinely create that shift and what should you be measuring? And I think we've got a a kind of strategic role to play there. How you change it within an organisation, I think we've got an ability to focus more on our expertise and just understanding people and how they work in groups and dynamics and understand that they don't work to process. So lots of the safeguards that were supposed to be there 
pre-financial crisis were ignored because actually people didn't value it. So we need to understand how do you hire people with levels of integrity? How do you help them keep that? At what point will people fail within a system and defer to the majority? And there's plenty of research from psychology and behavioural economics that gives us clear indicators on what works and what doesn't. And we need to start bringing that richer insight and applying it to the way we run organisations. So what are some of the the trends that you, some of the new ideas or new practices that you're hoping will come out in the next few years? Where do you think that there'll be some really interesting developments in the world of HR? In the world of HR, I'd like to see us bring in some kind of tricks, tips, insight from behavioural economics, marketing, psychology. So I think that it's a, the work's already been done for us in some ways. It's just kind of planning on the fire for that. And the same with embracing change management methodologies in a more holistic way. So instead of just going, we'll roll this out to the organisation, really think about what that means, what the impact will be, what the reception will be. Is it the right time? Are we overloading people? I think embracing technology and understanding that is a challenge for any HR practitioner now because it's increasingly the way that people connect with each other, the way that people network, the way they look for jobs. So I think we're reaching a point where it's no longer an option just to say, I don't do the technology. And increasingly we're looking at, I think, two strands. We kind of talk about the art and science of HR. So I think the art is that kind of ethical responsibility that we have. So challenging back to organisations on their behaviours and being strong enough and brave enough to sit in that space and not own it, but make sure that that ownership is distributed across the organisations. So to show that we care and that we're not just there to service, we're there to provide challenge to organisations as well to help them get better. And then the science is actually that kind of, it's those external pieces from marketing and the others, but it's also, we have a wealth of data. If you think about the average amount of data that an HR team might hold on their people, or may have access to if it reaches across the rest of the company for performance metrics. Marketers would kill for that information in terms of being able to have insight into profile. I think we need to get better at utilising that. And that's companies coming together, where they're kind of same sector or similar sector or facing similar challenges to solve things together, across companies where they're small, or for the larger companies, just making sure that that really is a focus for them. There's a lovely phrase that our CEO uses that too often we bring PowerPoint when we should bring Excel. And I think there's an, there's an element of that, um, which is, I think, challenging at the very top and taking that strategic role, but doing it informed by numbers, but based upon principles. And I, I think that's the shift that I'd like to see. Then there's some things that externally we need to wrestle with. So the gig economy, which is this kind of theory that everyone's going to be doing sexy jobs and working for 10 employers. If you look at some of the structural things happening with our, within our economy in terms of low pay, in terms of skills gaps, that could actually just mean lots of people working on the equivalent of zero hours contracts and not being confident in terms of where their next mortgage payment will come from or where they're going to get paid next month. So I think we need to think holistically around what it means to be a person working in the modern age and challenge back organisations on that as well. Because yes, it would be great for organisations to not have to pay people when they don't need them. But actually, I think there's an overriding commitment to an individual that you work with that goes beyond just the contract. What's some of the advice that you would give to an individual who wanted to help create this shift in their organisation, who was trying to start that journey? How how would you suggest they approach that? I think realise you're not alone. So I think one of the benefits of connecting, be that through social media, be that through going to a conference and meeting like-minded people, is that you realise that most organisations are dealing with the same issues and trying to make the same shift. And yet what is really easy to happen is for people to go into work every single day and think it's insurmountable because I'm the only person trying to do it here. And you're not. I think it's the way things are shifting. It will take time. But if you want to feel comfortable in being brave, because I think sometimes 
to be brave, you need other people to be brave with you, I'd hook into communities. So find people who care about the same things, think in a similar way, understand what the challenges are and work with them to solve it. Because it's far easier, and we know from experience and research, it's easier for me to solve a problem for someone else than it is for myself. Give other people your problems and ask what they'd do with them is probably the best way of doing it. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for the tips and your insights um, in the interview today. I hope you enjoyed another insightful podcast from Transformational Insights. Next month, we'll be talking to Ashley Unwin, the UK PwC board member and head of consulting for EMEA. I hope you'll join us then.